Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Rare mass protests broke out in multiple Chinese cities over the weekend. That's amid discontent under the regime's harsh COVID policies, and support is growing outside of China. The White House responding after protests erupt across China over the zero COVID policy. A top Biden official says Beijing's strategy is unrealistic. Arizona's Maricopa County responds to demands by the state attorney general's election integrity unit. The unit requested information on election day complications. House Republicans are asking dozens of Biden staffers to testify before Congress. That includes officials from the DOJ, Homeland Security and more. The House Majority Leader-elect also revealed some Republican priorities for the incoming Congress. House Republicans are requesting that dozens of White House officials testify before Congress. The main issues are the alleged politicization of the FBI, border security, and Hunter Biden's business dealings. Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee this month sent letters to at least 42 Biden administration officials requesting testimony about the alleged politicization of the Department of Justice, investigations into U.S. border security, and President Biden's son's Hunter's foreign business dealings. A recent letter to White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain requested testimony from four Biden administration staffers relating to alleged misuse of federal criminal White House officials' counterterrorism resources to target concerned parents at school board meetings. Around the same time, another letter was sent to the Department of Education requesting testimony from three officials, and another letter was sent to the Department of Homeland Security requesting interviews from around a dozen administration officials. House Republicans have asked even more DOJ and FBI officials to testify during the next Congress, according to letters sent last week. They're seeking testimony from Attorney General Merrick Garland, FBI Director Christopher Wray, and dozens of other FBI and DOJ officials. It's likely that Republicans will seek to investigate how the FBI and DOJ handled investigations into former President Donald Trump and the Mar-a-Lago raid in August. Republicans and Trump have previously said that the two agencies have politically targeted the former president. House Majority Leader-elect Steve Scalise told Breitbart that some other priorities of Republicans for the incoming Congress are probing the origins of COVID-19, the widely criticized U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and allegations surrounding Hunter Biden. Whether it's Hunter Biden's dealings with all kinds of foreign countries or the laptop scandal, which the liberal media tried to dismiss when it came out in 2020, it's been verified. He also reportedly pointed out how no military officials were questioned about the Afghanistan withdrawal yet, and it is not clear who gave the orders to abandon and leave behind military equipment which fell into the hands of the Taliban. NTD reached out to the White House for comment on the House Republicans' request for testimony, but did not hear back before broadcast. Arizona's Maricopa County yesterday released new data about malfunctions at some of its vote centers on Election Day. The county is rebuking claims that voters were disenfranchised because of the issues. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. I am focused like a laser beam focus on Arizona and election integrity. The data comes as a response to a November 19th letter from the Attorney General's Elections Integrity Unit. 
that demanded information regarding Election Day complications. The letter mainly addressed printer problems, long wait times, and voter checkout procedures when voters left one location to vote at another. In the new data release, the county acknowledges that it experienced printing problems at 31% of its vote centers. It says fewer than 1% of ballots cast were affected by these printer issues when compared to the total number of voters in the general election. It says every lawful voter was still able to cast his or her ballot. Regarding wait times, the county states that a majority of vote centers had a peak wait time of 15 minutes or less, and wait times at 207 of the county's 223 polling locations never exceeded an hour. As for checkout procedures, the county says it followed all laws when dealing with people who left one vote center over problems and then tried to vote at a second site. It says 206 residents tried to vote at a second location and 122 of them were not properly checked out. Poll workers gave those voters provisional ballots and election officials ultimately decided all but 13 of them should count. The county acknowledged that state law requires uniformity in the procedure for voting and tabulation of ballots. However, it says that any suggestion that the problems with the equipment broke the law have no legal basis. The county wrote that the laws do not require every printer and tabulator to work perfectly, or that there can never be any unplanned and unanticipated equipment malfunctions. The response by the county did not address all issues such as who is responsible for printer configuration settings. Carrie Lake tweeted yesterday that Arizonans have no faith and trust in their elections and accused election officials of incompetence. The county is set to formally canvass the vote totals today. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Rare mass protests against COVID-19 lockdowns broke out in major cities across China over the weekend. Frustration over extreme lockdown measures has reached a boiling point for many Chinese citizens. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the weekend's demonstrations. No PCR tests. We want freedom. That's what these protesters in Beijing are chanting after having enough of the Chinese Communist Party's zero-COVID lockdown policies. The weekend demonstrations are the most widespread show of opposition to the regime in decades. Protests were kindled after at least 10 people died in an apartment fire in Xinjiang's capital, Yurumqi. That's according to state-run media. The real number is unknown. Some say as many as 44 people died in the fire. First responders were unable to reach the blaze due to COVID-19 blockades and locks throughout the residential compound. The fire was left to burn for three hours. Angry residents demanded the citywide lockdown be lifted. Millions of people there have been forbidden to leave their homes for as long as 100 days. This man is telling police a three-year-old that died in the fire had not had a proper meal in months and only been eating radishes. Video footage went viral on Chinese social media before internet censors could scrub news of the tragedy. Outrage sparked as more districts around China announced their own lockdowns in response to surging numbers of COVID-19 infections. Protests spread from the city in northwest China to the capital Beijing, all the way to Wuhan and Shanghai. Ten major cities have reported large-scale protests. Demonstrators are holding up blank sheets of white paper in a gesture that circumvents the country's strict censorship laws. One protester stated, we don't need to write anything on it. It's a symbol of the revolution of the people. Others hold up sunflowers, a symbol used by a student movement in Taiwan. Gunshots were reported at the protest in Wuhan. 
Blockades were broken and fences pushed down. Author and China specialist Gordon Chong says while many are correlating the protests to 1989, a more apt comparison is 1949 when nationalists lost people's hearts. He says the CCP has now lost hearts across the country. Crowds gathered in Shanghai for a vigil at Wulumchi Middle Road, a street named after Yurumchi. A large group chanted down with the Chinese Communist Party, down with Xi Jinping. Police dragged people away, while others chanted, free them. Dutch reporter Eva Ramelou called the scene incredible. She says in her 10 years of reporting in China, she's never seen anything like it. BBC journalist Ed Lawrence was taken to the ground by a group of policemen and detained. Onlookers demanded he be let go, chanting, release him, release him. Police beat and kicked the accredited journalist during the arrest. The BBC put out a statement saying Chinese authorities gave no official explanation or apology at the time. Officials claim he was arrested for his own good to stop him from catching COVID from the crowd. BBC says they do not consider that a credible explanation. Chinese authorities later say he refused to show his foreign press card or leave the scene. The communist regime has relentlessly suppressed critical voices during the pandemic. Several citizen journalists and residents trying to document the toll in the early days of the CCP virus were jailed. Many Chinese citizens say they have had enough of the extreme lockdown measures and are willing to take collective actions to support their neighbors who test positive. Some experts believe the zero COVID policy has been a way for the regime to establish total control over the population. The Chinese Communist Party is sticking with Xi's zero COVID policy, even as most of the world lifts restrictions. China's COVID case numbers have hit record highs for days, with nearly 40,000 new infections on Saturday. However, China's numbers are considered unreliable. Many cases have gone unreported since the pandemic started. It's not just within China. Backlash against Beijing's COVID restrictions is spreading. In several countries, people gathered in solidarity with protesters in Chinese cities. Chanting from Sydney to Shanghai, democracy will never die. About 200 people gathered outside Sydney Town Hall. Their voices joined those in China calling for freedom under the regime's harsh COVID controls. I've come down here to support uh, all Chinese people here in Australia and all Chinese people in Shanghai, um, at Foxconn, at Urumqi, at the Uyghur Muslims. Dozens of Chinese Australians held a candlelight vigil for the victims of the deadly fire in Urumqi, Xinjiang. They lit candles and held blank sheets of paper, gestures against censorship under the Chinese Communist Party. The rare surge of civil protests both in and outside of China reminded some of similar scenes in Beijing's Tiananmen Square 30 years ago. 33 years ago, tanks were used to crack down on citizens and the students. And 33 years later, the government is doing exactly the same thing and cracking down on citizens. Chinese people should never forget what the government did, and we need to stand up and say no. Over in Britain, similar protests erupted outside the Chinese embassy in London. Holding up signs, people chanted, step down, to Chinese leader Xi Jinping. The same cry heard among protesters in Shanghai. In areas closer to mainland China, hundreds of young people gathered at a vigil in Tokyo, remembering those who died in the Urumqi fire, many of them Chinese students. 
The rally ended with open speeches against Xi Jinping and the country's COVID restrictions. And a silent opposition in Hong Kong. There, demonstrators carried flowers and the symbolic white paper seen at almost every other protest. Police soon arrived on site, sitting up cordons and dispersing crowds. The White House has responded to the unprecedented zero-COVID protests in China. One official is calling the Chinese regime's virus strategy unrealistic. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more. White House COVID-19 response coordinator Ashish Jha told ABC News Sunday that Chinese officials should drop the zero-COVID policy and try a different approach. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for China to be able to contain this through their zero-COVID strategy. Um, I would recommend that they pursue the strategy of making sure everybody gets vaccinated, particularly their elderly. That, I think, is the path out of this virus. Jaw said the zero-COVID policy is unrealistic for the American people. Instead, he said the U.S. strategy has been to build up immunity in the population by getting people vaccinated. Meanwhile, President Biden's chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has accused China of failing to cooperate with an investigation into the origins of COVID-19. Fauci told CBS's Face the Nation Sunday that he hasn't seen any data from Beijing on the origins of the virus. He accused the Chinese Communist Party of being secretive and raising suspicions that they may have covered things up. Even when there's nothing at all to hide, they act secretive, which absolutely triggers an appropriate suspicion of like, what the heck is going on over there? Fauci called on Beijing to be more transparent. He said the Biden administration would like to know everything that occurred with the first people who were infected with COVID-19, and every possibility should be investigated. Republicans have indicated they'll soon investigate the origins of the virus. In October, Congressman James Comer told the Epic Times that GOP lawmakers have already uncovered growing evidence that the virus likely originated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China and the Communist Party of China covered it up. GOP lawmakers have indicated they'll ask Fauci to testify as part of the probe. Fauci's resigning as NIAID director and as Biden's chief medical advisor in December. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Former President Trump has issued a statement on his dinner with rapper Kanye West. The two met at his Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida last week, drawing a chorus of negative media coverage. Trump wrote on his Truth Social platform that he, quote, helped a seriously troubled man. He wrote that West's business has been decimated and that West had always been good to him. He said West showed up with three people and he didn't know two of them and was out of touch with the third. In social media posts, West said that he, controversial political commentator Nick Fuentes, and Trump had dinner together. West says he asked Trump to be his vice president. Trump's post says, quote, I told him don't run for office, a total waste of time, can't win. A daring rescue in a subway station in Manhattan, a man who fell onto the tracks was pulled up just as the train was approaching. The rescuers were two NYPD officers and a bystander. One of the officers had a camera on him that captured the whole scene. The man fell onto the tracks by accident last week in East Harlem. The two officers were on patrol when they heard a scream from the opposite side of the station. They rushed through the emergency exit and onto the tracks to help. A bystander 
bystander was already there trying to pull the man to safety. After lifting the man out, the officers then climbed back onto the platform just before a train pulled into the station. The man was sent to the hospital with injuries to his hands and back. And coming up, Canada unveils a $1.7 billion strategy for the Indo-Pacific region. It calls China a disruptive force in the area. And Beijing has agreed to restructure debt owned by Cuba. That's in addition to a $100 million donation for hurricane relief in September. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Kim Jong-un says North Korea is working towards becoming the world's most powerful nuclear force. It came as he promoted dozens of military officials involved in the November 18th launch of the new Hwasong-17, the country's largest intercontinental ballistic missile to date. Kim said building up the country's nuclear force would protect the dignity and sovereignty of the state and the people, adding that the country's, quote, ultimate goal is to possess the world's most powerful strategic force, the absolute force unprecedented in the century. State news agency KCNA said the Hwasong-17 proves that North Korea is a nuclear power that can stand against the nuclear supremacy of the U.S., With the Hwasong-17 able to reach the U.S. mainland, the test launch prompted Washington to urge the United Nations Security Council to hold Pyongyang accountable for its missile tests. Such tests are banned by Security Council resolutions. Canada's long-awaited Indo-Pacific strategy was unveiled on Sunday. It lays out how the country plans to balance dealing with China while also deepening economic and security ties to the region. Our neighborhood, alongside Japan and South Korea, is facing real security threats from North Korea as it continues reckless missile launches and from China, who continues to challenge international norms. The 26-page strategy released on Sunday mentions China more than 50 times. It outlines a $1.7 billion boost to Canada's military and cybersecurity spending in the region. But the document also calls for cooperating with China, the world's second biggest economy, to address trade issues, global health, and nuclear proliferation. China has agreed to restructure Cuban debt and to provide new trade and investment credits to the island nation. Chinese investment in the country has slowed in recent years due to Cuba's failure to meet debt payments. Analysts estimate that debt to be in the billions of dollars, though no official figures are available. Cuba's last reported foreign debt total was nearly $20 billion in 2019. Trade between the two communist countries declined from over $2 billion in 2017 to $1.3 billion last year. China remains Cuba's second most important commercial partner after Venezuela. China also donated $100 million after Hurricane Ian destroyed Cuba's western province last September. And just ahead, Iran is accusing U.S. soccer of disrespecting the Iranian flag. That's after official U.S. accounts posted an altered version of the flag in support of Iranian protesters. Get the details in just a minute here on NTD News.
The U.S. Soccer Federation is showing support to the Iranian people, many of whom are currently protesting the Iranian regime. The Federation posted a picture on various social media sites showing the Iranian flag without the emblem of the Islamic Republic. The Federation posted this graphic of the Group B standings displaying the Iranian flag without the Islamic emblem on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. A U.S. soccer media officer said the intent was to show support for Iranian women. Iran reportedly plans to file a complaint to FIFA against the U.S. for disrespecting their flag. Many Iranians have been protesting since September when a 22-year-old died while in police custody. She was arrested for flouting the country's Islamic dress code. The U.S. will play an eagerly awaited match against Iran in the World Cup tomorrow. A Brazilian artist has molded over 3,000 replicas of the World Cup trophy, but the one he wants most is the new one from Qatar. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Jarbas Meneghini is a craftsman from Rio de Janeiro. He became inspired in 1994 when Brazil won the World Cup held in the United States. So he decided to cast a mold and make a trophy for himself. I want to have a trophy like this one. It's so beautiful. I want it to be like this man, like this captain, a winner. I felt so much emotion in my heart with him. It was strong, very strong. Since then, he has exported his handmade plaster replicas to 17 countries, including the U.S. and ones in Europe. In front of the Maracana Stadium, Meneghini also sells his plaster trophies to tourists and soccer fans. He's even given them to ex-Brazilian soccer stars, such as Pele and Ronaldinho. The artist believes Brazil will bring home a new World Cup trophy from Qatar. I've already made almost 3,000 trophy replicas, but right now, the one I really feel like having is the golden one, the one Brazil will win in Qatar, and that we will be able to chant, we are the champions. Brazil's sixth World Cup trophy will be exciting. We have been over 20 years without winning one, and the Brazilian people deserve the trophy and this love. The World Cup final is on Sunday, December 18th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. When you want to turn up the heat of your dishes, you reach for chili peppers. But is their spicy flavor all they're good for? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Chili peppers got their name from Christopher Columbus when he was exploring the Caribbean. They are native to the Americas and cultivated in warm climates the world over. They're not actually related to black or white pepper, which is more expensive. They come from the nightshade family and capsicum genus, but the name stuck. They come in three groups, red or green bell peppers, sweet peppers and hot peppers. The heat of the chili is found in the seeds and white pith. Chili peppers contain the plant compound known as capsaicin. It's a powerful antioxidant phytochemical providing many health benefits. These include anti-cancer properties, cardiovascular protection and longer life. A study in 2021 analyzed nearly 7,000 chili pepper studies involving more than 570,000 people. They found that those who consumed chili peppers were much better off. They had significantly lower risk of cardiovascular and cancer-related deaths compared to people who didn't eat them. Chilies are especially high in vitamin C. They're known to improve digestion and metabolism, alleviate migraines, fight fungal infections and inflammation, plus keep your hair and skin healthy. 
could this be why ethnicities who consume them never seem to age? When choosing them for your dishes, go for a deep vibrant colour and shiny skin. Colour is an indicator of the best flavoured chilies too. They'll store well in a paper bag in the vegetable drawer in the fridge. As with most dried products, keep them in a sealed container in a cupboard. You'll find dried and ground chilies in the supermarket spice aisle. Use them for flavour and colour in sautéed vegetables, omelettes and baked savoury breads and biscuits. They're also a requirement in ethnic dishes like Thai curries, Indian dal and Mexican tacos. Hawaii's Mauna Loa volcano erupted this morning for the first time in nearly 40 years. This is the world's largest active volcano. The U.S. Geological Survey is urging locals to stay alert. Lava from the volcano illuminated the Hawaiian sky early this morning. The USGS said the lava flow is contained in the summit area and isn't threatening downhill communities. But the agency has issued a code red warning saying the direction and speed of lava flows can change quickly. Over a dozen earthquakes also hit the area, all of magnitude 2.5 or higher. The volcano last erupted in 1984, sending lava flows within five miles of a city. That's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.